the most damaging ones are the beliefs about ourselves. I'm too old. I'm too young. Or I don't have enough education. Or I've got too much education. Or I don't have enough experience. Or I've got too much experience. But it really is a reality that, for the most part, exists inside our head. And that's the only place it exists. Top leaders. Meaningful conversation. Actionable advice. Bulldoze complacency. Ignite inspiration. Create impact. Produced by Southwestern Family of Companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. We have an incredibly insightful and influential and well-known guest. His name is Michael Hyatt. If you're not familiar with Michael, he's the former CEO of Thomas Nelson, a New York Times bestselling author. Michael, you know how much I admire you and appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Great to be on again. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned a a research-driven system for achieving your goals. Sure. Well, first of all, there's an entire discipline, scholarly discipline of goal achievement research. So there's all kinds of scholars, all kinds of studies out there. You know, we don't have to guess at it anymore. You know, sometimes people wonder, well, what really works? And you hear this anecdote and that anecdote from this speaker and that speaker, but there's really a scientific basis now for it. In addition to that, we've had 32,000 people in 110 countries go through my best year ever course over the last five years. So we've collected data from those people. We know what works, what kind of works, what doesn't work at all. And we've been able to separate sort of the myth from the reality. Mm. You talk about limiting beliefs. So can you tell us what those are? And, you know, if you can talk about the three different types. Yeah, well, so let me start with this story that I actually tell in the, uh, the book about my dog, Nelson. And so I had this dog when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson. I thought it was kind of cute to name him after the company. But uh, he would bolt out the front door and we wouldn't be able to catch him like for 20 minutes. We didn't have a fenced in yard at the time and couldn't have one. So we then put in an electric or one of those electronic uh, invisible fences. And that was amazing because he got so trained that when he would approach that invisible fence, he'd get this little vibration in his collar and he would shrink back from crossing the boundary. He got Mm -hmm. so good at this, so trained that we removed the collar, never put it on again, and he never would cross the boundary, even if we held treats on the other side of the boundary. Wow. Why? Because the fence had moved from the external world to the internal world of Nelson's brain. And that's how limiting beliefs function for most of us. We have some kind of experience, some kind of setback, some kind of challenge, and then we develop a limiting belief around it, which is like blinders or colored glasses that influence how we see everything. Some of these are global beliefs, like we think, you know, well, the economy is messed up, so there's no possible way that we can succeed. Or, you know, whoever's president at the time, because they're the president, we can't succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like this this global belief, or all men are, you know, pigs, or whatever it is. We develop these global beliefs. Then there's beliefs about other people, where we start thinking about, you know, well, she wouldn't want to spend time with me. She probably doesn't find me that interesting. Or I'll never get the time of day from that person. But the most damaging ones of all are the beliefs about ourselves. I'm too old or I'm too young or I don't have enough education or I've got too much education or I don't have enough experience or I've got too much experience. And I've heard it on, on both sides of the equation, but it really is a reality that for the most part exists inside our head. And that's the only place it exists. Mm-hmm. One other thing on this, resources, 
are never the main challenge in achieving your dreams. Yeah, I have this fundamental conviction that resources always follow clarity or vision. So the resources don't show up until we get clear on what it is that we want. And so our job is to get clear on what we want, and then the resources show up. Now, when we get this backwards, it's very dangerous Mm -hmm. because we might start thinking about the future and we think, well, I don't really have the money to achieve this, so I'm not even going to dream about it. I'm not even going to think about it. Or I don't have a network of contacts, or I don't have the time. It's very important to get clear first on what you want and then trust that the resources will show up. And they do, but they don't come to people who aren't clear on what they want. And sometimes the clarity of that will attract the resources. You know, when we're clear about what it is that we want, I mean, how, how could anybody align with us or lend us their resources or um, use their resources to help us if we're not clear what we want? So there's an attraction factor that happens when we get clear. It's a way of enrolling other people in the vision too, where they wow. can bring their resources to the table and help us. So I want to talk about risk. Why are you saying that risk is a necessary part of this journey? Well, you know, in in corporations especially, but I've really noticed this among salespeople. A lot of times people will, quote, sandbag their numbers. You know, they'll they'll aim for a goal that's in their comfort zone because maybe in the past they've been upbraided or fired or penalized in some way when they missed a goal. And they didn't like the feeling of that. They didn't like the results of that. So they dial it down to something that's safe. All the goal research says that that is a prescription for not hitting your goals. Why? Because if the goal is in your comfort zone, it's not going to ignite your imagination. It's not going to demand innovation. It's not going to focus your execution. Instead, it has to be dialed up into the discomfort zone. The goal has got to be risky, not in the comfort zone, but in the discomfort zone. Now, the major feature of the discomfort zone and how you know you're there is that you're uncomfortable. You feel fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, you feel like there's some risk that if you fail, you're afraid of that. Or maybe you're uncertain of the path. You've never done this before. You're not quite clear how you're going to get from point A to point B. And maybe you've got some doubt even about your ability to pull it off. Do you have what it takes to achieve this goal? If you feel that way, that's awesome. Those are positive indicators <laughs> that your goal that your goal is set in the discomfort zone. Now, now here's the distinction though that's important. You don't want to be in the delusional zone. You know where uh, you dialed it so far up there that you don't have a chance of hitting it, and you're deluding yourself. You're fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. So the trick is almost like uh, the three bears. You got to get it just right. I was talking to a friend of mine, and this guy had never made more than $75,000 in his life. And so he got all excited about goal setting. He'd heard me talk about it. He's actually my fitness trainer. And he said, uh, this year, I'm going to make a million dollars. And I said, well, wait a second. You told me before that you've never made over $75,000. You're going to make a million dollars this year? And talk about talking smack. That's exactly what he was doing. He didn't have a clue. It was completely delusional. Well, as you can imagine, he got to the end of the year. He didn't get anywhere close to it, didn't make any more money than he'd made the previous year. And you know what he said? That goal setting thing doesn't work. Goal setting works. Goals in the delusional zone don't work. And that's exactly what he had done. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the smarter framework. So there's, you know, these seven sort of attributes of effective goals. So can you walk us through the seven, just kind of high level? Yep. I'll give you the ones that everybody knows, then I'll tell you how mine are different. So the S stands for specific. The goal's got to be specific not vague. 
It's got to be yep. measurable. You know, if you can put a number on it, all the better. Because then you know when you cross the finish line. And it needs to be actionable. So I always recommend that people start with an action verb, not a to-be verb, but a good, strong action verb. Like, you know, run, walk, lose, earn, increase, decrease, something that's a, an action verb. Then the R stands for risky, which we already covered. The T stands for time keyed in my system because I make a distinction between habit goals and achievement goals are a little bit different. And the way that the time component works is a little bit different on each one of those. We can come back to that if you want to. But here's where it gets interesting. The E in smarter stands for exciting. If the goal's not exciting to you, you're not going to stick it out and cross the finish line. You're going to get to the messy middle where you're going to throw up your hands and you're going to say, you know what? This goal didn't mean that much to me. I just give up on it. So it's got to be exciting to you. Now, this is an important distinction. Every goal is a project, but not every project is a goal. And one of the key distinctives of whether or not it's a goal is, is it exciting? So I had a lady in one of my groups um, this last year who said, I'm having a hard time around one of my goals getting motivated. And I said, okay, so what's the goal? She said, I've got to reconcile my accounting I'm several months, you know, behind on that. And I got to reconcile it. And I said, okay, are you excited about that? She said, heck no, I'm not excited about that at all. And I said, okay, that's a project. It's not a goal. Every goal is a project, but not every project's a goal. That's center free. Then the R stands for the goal has got to be relevant. It's got to be relevant to every other goal. You know, you can't have conflicting goals. It's got to be relevant to your season in life, aligned with your season in life. What I can do as somebody who's an empty nester with a lot of free time is very different than somebody now with small kids. So it's a completely different season and our goals need to be informed by that season. So that's the smarter framework. Yeah. Do you think they're all equally important or what do you think? I think they're all equally important. In fact, that chapter is called goals that check seven boxes and so I use that kind of as the criteria when I'm evaluating a goal, is it set up so that I can win? Now, here's a por- an important component of all this. Y- your goal's got to be written. Now, that sounds obvious, but I've spoken all over the country to a lot of CEOs, senior corporate leaders, salespeople. I always ask the question, how many of you believe in the power of written goals? I mean, every hand in the audience goes up. And then I say, okay, I want you to be honest. How many of you have written goals for this year? Leave your hands up. Everybody else put your hands down. On average, 5% of the people are left standing. They've got their hands up still. Everybody's in it. Few people practice it, but this is a key uh, bit of research. Dr. Gail Matthews at Dominican University in California did a study, pretty large study. And one of the things she found is that people who write their goals down, as opposed to just you know expressing them uh, orally or in some other way, People that write them down have a 42% chance, better chance of achieving the goal merely by writing the goal down. This really comes down to the fourth part of my five-part five framework in the book where I talk about, you know, believe in the possibilities, number one, complete the past is number two, design your future is number three, and number four is find your why. Now, here's the thing. Inevitably, in the pursuit of any important goal, we're going to get to the messy middle. You know, this is where, like when you're running a half marathon, like I've done numerous times, um, you get to that point at about mile marker 11, where you're too invested to stop, 
but you just don't know if you've got the energy to finish. And it's really easy to get stuck at that point and want to quit. Unless, before you begin, you've identified your why. People lose their way when they forget their why. And so one of the parts of my framework is to really drill down deep at the very beginning of the process, once you've identified the goal, to ask yourself the question, why? Why is that important? Why is it important that I achieve that? And keep peeling the skins of the onion back until you get about three levels deep. And I say come up with three key motivations that'll keep you going when you want to quit. Because the goal all of a sudden is not going to be that important anymore unless you can remember the why. Tell you a story. Um, Several years ago, when I wrote my book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, um, I, I was writing it at a very busy season of my life. I was out speaking. I was trying to establish this new career as an entrepreneur. And I just got busy. I had a commitment to the publisher that I would have the manuscript in by the end of November. Well, it came up to about September, and I realized that I was so busy. My schedule was so jammed. There was no way I was going to do that. I had a, a first draft that frankly wasn't very good. I wasn't very proud of it. And I looked at it and I got discouraged, even though that was my number one goal for the year was to get that book written and turned into the publisher. So I thought, well, you know, maybe this isn't the year. Maybe I'll just quit. Maybe I'll give the money back to the publisher. Maybe I'll queue it up for another year. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered my why. I remembered that I had written down my key motivations. So I pulled out my goals, looked at my key motivations. And I found things like this. I want to write the book because I'm trying to establish my authority in this space and nothing like a book will establish your authority. I said, I want to help tens of thousands of authors who have been turned down by publishers who said, great concept, but you don't have a platform. I want to be able to help people build a platform and learn what I've learned about social media. So it was that why that got me to say, you know what? I can find time to finish this. I'm going to finish it. I've got to finish it. It's a must. It was that motivation. And I did. I was about a month late turning it in, but uh, the book got turned in. It went on to be a New York Times bestseller. And so it all came back to, to, to identifying my why early on at the beginning of the process. You actually talk, you kind of talk a little bit about how visibility is essential. Can you talk about that and you know how, how sure. are they related or not related? Well, this is a part of quit proofing your goals as well. You've got to keep the goals visible. And so often I see people frame up a set of goals, you know, they get eager at the first of the year or whenever they come up with a list of goals and then they file them away and don't look at them again. And we used to do this on a corporate scale, even at Thomas Nelson, when I was there, we'd do an offsite planning retreat, come up with a brilliant plan, come back. And, you know, it was like, it was very difficult to get back to that and to review it on some kind of regular basis. So I encourage people in the book to follow a process where they're reviewing sort of the top line goals, seven to 10 goals for the year, reviewing those every day, just a quick scan, ask yourself, is there anything I could do today to move uh, forward on one of these goals? And then once a week in a weekly review process, review not only the goals, but your key motivations so you can connect emotionally and intellectually with why that goal is important. And then on a quarterly basis, ask yourself the question, am I still committed to this goal? Does it need to be revised? Does it need to be removed? Does it need to be replaced by something else? But you've got to keep your goals visible. You've got to keep reviewing it. If you don't do that, I can virtually guarantee you that you're not going to achieve your goals. When you talk about the the, the you know finding finding your why, 
I think a lot of people struggle with that. And and how do you know when you have it? Is it is it is it basically that you have an emotional, you know, response to it? No, I don't think it's just emotional. I think it could be intellectual. It could be intellectually compelling to you. You know, maybe just something that you're trying to solve, some problem that doesn't really have an emotional component. But if you could pull that off, it would really be interesting to you intellectually. Uh, it could be moving emotionally, you know, either one of those. But I think you've just got to ask yourself the question, why is this important? And if you can't come up with a good reason of why it's important, because honestly, it's going to take a lot of effort to accomplish the kind of goals that are in your discomfort zone. And if you can't come up with a compelling why, you're probably not going to go the distance and actually achieve the goal. So I just think asking yourself, not letting yourself off the hook, but just asking yourself the question, why is that important? And just brainstorm it. Keep writing. Keep writing. Why is this important? Think of every reason you can. Then go back and rank them. And I throw out all of them but the top three. I feel like if I can focus uh, on those top three, that's sufficient. Um, so this is the last thing. And you mentioned the journey is better with friends. Yeah, well, let me uh, just quote this great verse from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who falls when he is alone, for he will not have another to lift him up. So, you know, this is ancient wisdom, but it's also been verified by science. Now, I've heard for a long time, in fact, I used to practice this, go public with your goals. And then I saw that very famous TED Talk by Derek Sivers, maybe you've seen it too, where he says, no, 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 no. The problem with going public with it, and the research shows, is that you get the same psychological bump as if you'd, have, as if you'd accomplished it. So you don't want to do that. People that go public with their goals all of a sudden think in their subconscious that they've accomplished the goal. And there's a lot of distance that has to be covered between announcing it and actually achieving it. But that doesn't mean you have to keep your goal to yourself. So Dr. Gail Matthews, whom I quoted earlier, another goal researcher, one of the things she discovered was that people who have accountability with other people raise their chances of achieving their goal by about 50%. And what you've got to do is share selectively, share selectively with people who will give you inspiration, feedback, and hold you accountable, not beating you up or shaming you but holding you accountable to what they know and you know you want to achieve. So I always suggest you get a small group of friends or a group of like-minded people who are all in this together, who will encourage one another, be positive in one another's life, and reinforce one another's best thinking and best achievement. What you don't want to do is share your goals with people that are negative. People that will say, oh yeah, I remember the last time you tried that and it didn't go anywhere. You know, that, that, that's not helpful. And you don't want those kind of, you don't want to share your goals with those kind of people. Yeah. Thanks for making some time for us. Appreciate you having me on. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.